You see, when we come to the table with Jesus, there are so many postures that we can take up. We can be like the Pharisee. He wasn't willing to give any more of himself until Jesus proved himself. And how many of us are like that today? We invite Jesus to be part of our lives, but on our terms. But we don't realise that Jesus is still reclining at the table. Hello, you've tuned in for a sermon from one of our preaching team here at C3 Church Victory. We're a home for hope located in Newcastle, Australia, but you can connect with us online wherever you are. Head to our website, c3victory.org.au for more info. Hey, can I start with a quote this morning? All great change begins at the dinner table. Hmm. All great change. That's actually not the entire quote. I did paraphrase it slightly. The original quote was from Ronald Reagan, and you will have heard it. All great change in America begins at the dinner table. Have you heard it before? A few people. All great change begins at the dinner table. Interesting, interesting thought. I don't know if that's actually the case, but I do know that the dinner table is a pretty powerful place. Yeah? And I do love a good conversation around the dinner table. Is there anybody else with me today? Anybody else like a good conversation around the table? Yeah. And a moment where we gather together and we get to hear each other's thoughts and connect together and get to know each other a little better and have funny conversations and lots of good things really happen at the dinner table, particularly the food thing. The food thing's a great thing to happen at the dinner table. Yep, amen to that, Pastor Rachel. Uh, And I can see that how sometimes a discussion at the dinner table may be a catalyst to changing things in the world because it's kind of like you voice your ideas and you float. And I feel like like Pastor Simo, you'd be like, you love this. You just like throw a little sentence out there to challenge some thinking. And people are like, oh, think about that for a a little minute and we start to formulate ideas and thoughts about what life means and some of the best conversations happen at the table and I'm sure many many great inventions have been birthed at the dinner table and all sorts of things but and I also love a good dinner party So, and particularly when it's unexpected, I don't mean like you didn't know it was going to happen and it just occurs, although I do like those as well, the, you know, impromptu ones, but I love it when you go and you're a bit sort of apprehensive about going, I know that sounds weird, all my introverts are like, that's not fun, but it's like you just have this inkling about, oh, I'm not really sure, I don't know how all these people sort of fit together, I'm not sure if this is going to work, and you get there, and the conversation is easy, and the conversation is good, and you walk away, and you're like, oh, we should totally do that again, that would be, that was really great, has anybody else had that experience before, a few people, yeah, and you're like, this, this was really good, because we're having a conversation with people we wouldn't have ordinarily had a conversation with. I do like the impromptu thing as well because it just arises and it's like a, oh, hey, you're free. Yeah, we're free. Let's get together. Let's do something fun, Um, particularly if it's like around the fire or maybe it's at the beach or at the park. Like they're they're fun nights and fun days and particularly if I don't have to cook. Anybody else with me on that one? Mm, Definitely. Takeaway or somebody else cooking or just me not cooking. That's just fine. 
Um, but some people might prefer one-on-one. -on -one. Who prefers one-on-one -on -one conversations rather than a big table of people? Yep, there's a few people. I feel like some of you don't know what you like. Let's just try this one more time, okay? I'm gonna give you two options. One's gonna be dinner table, you gotta choose one. Dinner table with like a group of people or one-on-one. -on -one. There are your two options, are you ready? Okay, first option, online, you with me. Who likes a dinner table type setting? All right, all right. And who would prefer a one-on-one -on -one type setting? Okay, interesting, interesting. Who is fine with either? Yeah, okay, good, good. All right, all right, I like it. This is good. I like getting, this is kind of like a really big dinner table. <clears throat> but so many times we find ourselves around a table, right? We find ourselves in conversation with people around a table, even if it's not an actual physical table. It doesn't have to be a physical table. But what the table represents is what's important. And this invitation series that we're in is exploring what it means to accept the invitation to be in deep and meaningful connection with Jesus. And we liken it to being invited to sit at the table with Jesus. How beautiful. So I just wanna take a minute to talk about what the table does represent. And in our house, this is what the table can look like. Can I just like give you just a heads up? This is like the perfect table. This is not the exact table. It's kind of like what I would like our table to be all the time, but it's not all the time. That's okay. But in our house, it can look like a place where we can be ourselves with no fear of judgment. It can be a place where we choose to be open or we can choose not to be open. But if we do open up, it's a safe place to do that. Honesty is obviously key. A place where we laugh, we have fun, we play games. A place where we can ask deep questions, even if we don't know or are not sure how to get the answer to the question we're asking. A place where we can sit quietly, contemplate in a comfortable and not awkward silence. Although that's like super hard when Mads is around because she cannot stop talking and she loves a good conversation. And that's totally fine because that is who she is. And so there's not a whole lot of contemplative silence at our table. A place where we leave feeling full of food, yes, but also our souls are full. A place where we try not to be distracted and our attention is on the people directly in our midst. A place where conversation can't be forced, but when it does happen, it's beautiful. A place of love and encouragement. A place where we are not just there to receive, but we are there to give something of ourselves that doesn't always translate to the washing up later. That sounds pretty good, hey? It's not always perfect. We have definitely had fights at the table. We've had phones at the table. That's a really big no-no. Let's leave phones away from the table when you're trying to have a conversation. Um, we have had super awkward moments at the table and we're pretty real though when it comes to the table. Anyone who has shared our table with us before would know that we are who we are and it's pretty real at our table. We don't try to be people that we're not. The table doesn't have to be big. In fact, it can be really small. Like we said, it could be a gathering of, you know, a number of people, four, six, ten, whatever. But it can also just be a one-on-one -on -one table, you and somebody else. 
It doesn't have to be big. It can, doesn't even have to be a table like I already mentioned. It could be a fire. It could be a lounge, a car. It might be going for a walk. It might be at the beach. But it's what it represents because the table itself is not important. It is the intention and the posture that makes the difference. The point is always connection, authentic and intentional connection. Can we remember that this morning? Because we are going to need to remember that. We're going to read today from Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to read from verse 36 this morning. And it says this, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Everybody say, reclined at the table. Reclined at the table. It does sound very posh. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who asked Jesus, who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Lord God, this morning we just ask that you would speak really clearly to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would open our minds to what it is that you want to speak to us, that you would show us, Lord God, your word in a whole new way. Lord, we thank you that you are always moving us, you are always changing us, you are always embracing us, Lord, in, in a new way. And so, God, today I pray that that would not change, Lord, that we would be able to rest in your word, be challenged by your word and grow in your word today. In your mighty name, amen. You know, there are so many depictions of Jesus around a table. I'm sure if I asked you to put your hands up and, or call some out, you'd be able to rattle them off really quickly. There's times like uh, Mary and Martha when Martha invites Jesus into her home and we know that story and there's the story of Zacchaeus who uh, gets invited who Jesus says hey I'm coming to your house and so they go and they have a meal and some incredible things happen there and there's the feeding of the 5,000 there is the last supper so you can see there's lots of different tables and uh, that we find Jesus has been around. And that's just those stories. There's also parables. There's the, the parable of the, the great wedding banquet. There's the parable, even the, the prodigal son ends in a massive banquet, which is like a celebration of his homecoming. And so there's lots of time where Jesus finds himself around a table and around food as well. Who knows that? We all know that. We think about our next meal because... We live in a privileged country where we can. And so we do. We often think about what is it that I'm going to eat for my next minute. My kids definitely ask me all the time, what's for dinner? And there's something really beautiful, though, about this idea of being around a table. And it's, it can be quite a raw experience. It can be a really authentic and genuine connection time. And some of the best relationships are born out of conversations around the table. When I was growing up, we always ate dinner at the table, always. It was a rhythm, it was a habit, it was a ritual at the end of every day. My mum, most likely, had cooked, I don't ever remember cooking, I make my kids cook way more than my mum made me cook. But my mum would cook a meal and we would all come home 
come out of our rooms from whatever we were doing. Um, it wasn't iPads because we didn't have those things. We were probably outside playing like we should be. And we would come, all come in and have a meal. Dad would get home from work and we'd sit at the dinner table and it was a really important time every single day where we would connect together. At some stage through every meal though, I knew a couple of things were gonna happen. The first thing that would always happen is my dad would start a drum solo. Yeah, you're all looking at me like, what? Does he have like a whole thing of drums? Brody, you will understand this. I, I feel like you as a dad might actually probably do this, where you like, the, the point is you get your knife and fork and you just start drumming. Like on the table, yep, am I right? Yeah, right. So on the table or you might drum on your plate or whatever. And the whole point of it was dad would start this drum solo and then we would have to copy. Like it was like this ritual that happened. And I, it still happens sometimes today. My dad will still do this occasionally. Um, and so we would just like know at some point through the meal, my brother absolutely loved it and he would just be like in there with the like drum, whatever. It might be the hands on the table, whatever. And uh, my sister and I would sometimes most likely reluctantly join in at some point just to stop the whole thing. But... The point was, we knew it was going to happen. It was a fun moment in our lives every single time. And the other thing that I knew that was going to happen was that we were going to be at the dinner table for a really long time because my brother Ian was the longest, slowest eater I've ever met in my entire life. If that is you, I will not invite you to my table. Because no. <laughs> I, have, I have PTSD, guys. <sighs> like, we're talking hours. There was this one time that... <laughs> My brother was really little, like really little, and he wouldn't eat his peas. <sighs> Always the peas. It's one, maybe one of the reasons I don't have peas in my house anymore, usually. But my, I remember my mum just, I can't do this, and she, she was allowed to leave the dinner table. What? She could leave, and out she went, out the door to go for a walk, because she was done. And, and then at one point, this was like maybe an hour in, my dad was like, that's it, we're up too. And so he picked up me and we started walking out the door and I remember hanging on to the door frame, like saying, no, dad, we can't leave him. Because he was like little, but he was really annoying. But like it was so... And so we're like, I'm hanging onto the door frame and I remember Ian just being the slowest eater. And apparently it's really good for your digestion and really good for your metabolism. It's probably why he's so fit anyway. Um... But as we got older, the conversations around the table got better and they just got more and more interesting. And even now, the conversations that are best had with my parents and with my brother and sister are always when we're sitting around a dinner table and we've finished a meal together and we just start talking about whatever. At the moment, Dad's favourite topic of conversation, this, you'll find this so interesting, is the uh, water temperature in the lake. Yeah. <laughs> He goes out twice a day to measure it. He's really environmentally conscious at the moment. But he is an engineer and he's like, the lake should not be this hot. And so he's, he's rallying his friends together to like find change. You know how the outlet from the power station and all that stuff, you, if you don't know anything about Lake Macquarie or Wanji, you know, there's like a big upcry there. And so he's, he's on it. So we talk about that. And we talk about politics. Not my favourite topic of conversation. Um, but we talk about... Oh, we, uh, my favourite is when we talk about stories about growing up because we just laugh a lot then. 
Like, there's just hilarity happening all over the place as we remember all the things that we used to do and wish, probably wish we still could do sometimes. But the table is a place where we grow together, we connect together, we learn together, and we can just be together. And it's a place of deep connection. So as you think about the table today, think of it as that. It is the place of deep connection. When we look at this passage in Luke, there's something quite spectacular, I think, about this encounter with Jesus around the table. First, we have a Pharisee who is, by all accounts, someone who doesn't even like Jesus. And yet he's invited Jesus around for a meal, probably because it's the polite thing to do after a teacher has spoken. This was a Sabbath, so it's the polite thing to do to invite a teacher or a rabbi around to have a meal and uh, to maybe talk about whatever was spoken about in the temple that day. Um, so he's probably just doing the polite thing, mostly because he probably wants to check this guy out a bit more. He wants a bit more of a close look to see, mm, is this guy who, any, is he any good? Because not all the Pharisees were so anti-Jesus. There was a few who were like, mm, I'm on the fence. I'm just going to sit on the fence for a while until he really proves himself. But he was really looking for his own benefit and to see whether Jesus would prove himself. And I love that the scriptures tell us that Jesus reclined because I don't know about you, but if that was me and I was walking into someone's house where I knew I was gonna be judged and I knew I was gonna be like, feel like I was gonna be interrogated, I would have been on the defense. So no reclining. I would have been like, all right. <clears throat> yeah, I got this. All right, come at me. Give me the questions. Let's go, let's go. But that's not who Jesus was because he was, he was relaxed. He knew who he was. He knew he didn't have to prove anything. He knew that he had nothing to hide. And he operated that way whether he was in the midst of a table of Pharisees or with his closest disciples because that's who he was. That was the character of Jesus. In addition, we have a sinful woman who is an uninvited guest because in those days, the doors to the homes would be open they would just be open and so random people could just walk into your home and did so quite regularly just when there was a meal happening or whatever. Who, who finds that quite confronting? Just to have random people walk into your home. Yep. Yeah, I kind of do too. I mean, I love it and I hate it all at the same time. I love the idea of having a house that's so open and welcoming that anybody feels like they can just walk in at any point. But I also fear that my arch nemesis from school would just walk in. <laughs> Guys, don't tell them who it is, because I, you know, it could be bad. But I just feel like that would really throw me, <laughs> and I don't know how I'd cope. But more than that, what if I didn't have enough food or something? And I, what if my house is not clean? And, you know, we've talked about that before. It doesn't matter. Come as you are. It's good. But that freaks me out, but I also love it at the same time. So I'm not sure where I sit. But it wasn't unusual in that day, of, day and age for somebody just to pop in. And this was an uninvited guest. So she's uninvited and she discovers that Jesus is gonna be at this home and she invites herself to the table. We have two vastly different postures. We have the Pharisee who is judging Jesus and we have the woman who is pursuing Jesus. We have the Pharisee who has done the polite thing, but hasn't even shown Jesus the, the like bare basic hospitality that 
would have been normally shown, not all the time, but normally shown when somebody walks, comes to your home for a meal. It says in Luke 7 from, 40, from verse 44, Jesus said to Simon, when I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she has been kissing my feet since I came in. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Because we know the motive of the Pharisee was to invite Jesus around, judge for himself whether this guy was worth listening, like who is this guy really? And then we have the woman who sought out Jesus in order that she might have an encounter with him. She sought him out, even though she probably knew she wasn't welcome, even though she knew she wasn't invited, it didn't matter. She was willing to risk it all because she was so overcome with this idea of encountering and connecting with Jesus and the gratitude that she had for the forgiveness and the acceptance she knew she found in this teacher, this person, she is moved to tears and extravagantly honours Jesus by washing his feet with her tears and anointing them with oil. You see, when we come to the table with Jesus, there are so many postures that we can take up. We can be like the Pharisee. While he invited Jesus into his home, he wasn't willing to give any more of himself until Jesus proved himself. And how many of us are like that today? We invite Jesus to be part of our lives, but on our terms. We might know it's the right thing to do, we might need, but we need Jesus to prove himself before we're willing to give him anything of ourselves. So we keep him at a distance, arm's length. We relegate him to the Sunday morning church service or, we pray, or the prayer we say before we go to sleep. Or maybe, just maybe, we allow him to be a part of the decision-making process for the really, really big things in our lives. But if he doesn't come through the way we think he should, yeah, back in your box, Jesus. You're only, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to talk to you. I, nah. You're not who I, I want you to be. So, you know, I'm just going to go on living my life the way that I want to live my life. Try and prove yourself another day. You know, we don't want to let Jesus in for so many reasons. And maybe we just do the bare minimum. The bare minimum so that we know that we're going to go to heaven. Uh, you, you will not be the first person who does that. You, who does that. It's a new word. Who does that. You won't be the last. Or maybe we've experienced Jesus at some stage in our life, but it all gets a bit hard, a bit messy when Jesus starts to convict us on the way that we're living or the way that we're thinking, the way that we're speaking. It just gets too hard. And so we go on living the way we want to, chucking in that little grace word every now and again. Love that word. Throw in a little bit of grace and I can just do whatever I want. I'm under grace. We go on living the way we want, bringing out Jesus whenever it suits us. But we don't realise that Jesus is still reclining at the table. We try to box him in, we try to leave him out, but he's relaxed. He knows who he is. He knows who you are. And he has invited you to his table regardless. To connect with him at a deep level and he'll just wait. And he'll just love you. He prepared a place for us long before you thought you needed him. Our place at the table was not dependent upon anything that we did. 
It was all about what he did, what he has done, what he continues to do. We just need to accept the invitation. But the funny thing is that we keep thinking he needs to prove himself to us. When really, if anyone needs to prove anything, it's us needing to prove ourselves to him, but he doesn't even want us to do that. Because he says, come as you are. Which is what the sinful woman understood. And her posture was one of humility, vulnerability, and pursuit. We read again in Luke in, that, in those couple of verses, 37, I'm going to read them to you again. A sinful woman in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, stood behind Jesus at his feet crying. She began to wash his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with perfume. She came as she was. She didn't, couldn't prove herself. She didn't try to prove herself. She just accepted the invitation that no one thought she should receive, but that Jesus extends to every single one of us and entered into the place where Jesus was and gave something of herself. I love a tearjerker movie, guys. I'm um, one of those people who, though, will only watch tearjerker movies when I'm by myself because no one wants to see this when it's sobbing. Like, it's... Pretty intense. I don't know about you. Anybody else a tear, love a good tearjerker? No, no one? Good, good, just me. Um, but I really don't feel like I can let myself go when I'm around other people. Don't get me wrong, I can let myself go by wearing my trackies and eating all the snacks. That's fine. Come along, come around. I'll happily do that together. But not when it comes to sobbing at a movie. And I'm, I will cry at most movies. Like, uh, there's... At the end, like even if it's a really happy movie and they all get together and it's just beautiful and I'll have a little tear and it's, it's nice and my kids rip me off, but they rip me off and so therefore I don't want to do, I don't want to have a sobbing moment because I'll really, like there'll be some serious memes of me coming out and I'll be flying around in the youth chat. Gosh, I don't want that. Woo. But I can't let myself cry, like really, really cry. So if I have a chance to watch a movie while I'm by myself or I know I'm going to cry, then I will take it at home by myself. And I sob, like howling. And I think of like all the terrible things that have happened to me in my life. And it just makes me like, which like I live a blessed life, guys. Don't get me wrong. But I just, I'll bring something out from when I was three years old and I lost my coin in the drain or something ridiculous but I will just howl I will howl and I'll howl because and the dogs must just think I'm an absolute crazy woman they're just looking at me like who are you where's my mum but I can't even see the end of the movie because my eyes are so full of tears like it's really bad but pretty rare would that happen when I'm never would it happen when I'm around other people but there is a level of vulnerability that is required to really cry in front of people, right? To really let people see you in that state. Just imagine being this woman, being so vulnerable before Jesus. She didn't care who was around her. She had not a care. She just knew that she was so overwhelmed with who Jesus was. And this moment, this encounter, this connection could be the only chance, the only moment that she would have in her lifetime to really show Jesus how 
incredibly grateful she was, how overwhelmed she was for all that he had done, all that he was going to do. She didn't even know what that was and yet it was like it was outpoured. Brene Brown says in Atlas of the Heart, vulnerability is not weakness, it is our greatest measure of courage. And in this moment, the sinful woman showed incredible courage. Just let that sit for a minute. Vulnerability is not weakness, it is a measure of courage. At the table with Jesus, we are invited to share with him our innermost thoughts, our innermost feelings, our deepest fears, our greatest achievements, our dreams, our ideas, all of those things. And the woman might have been thinking, if Jesus really knew who I was, I probably would have been. If Jesus really knew who I was, then he might not want me. Maybe it's just easier if I keep him at arm's length. But she didn't think that. The Pharisee thought she should have thought that. The Pharisee thought Jesus should have kept her at arm's length. But no, no, the woman knew that she just wanted to connect with Jesus. Jesus encourages and accepts this woman as she is, someone who needed Jesus, a person who was willing to lay it all down in front of Him so that she could know Him. And remember what I said right at the beginning, the specifics of the table are not important. What's important is the intention and the posture that we have. This is our invitation. Are we willing to be like this woman? to give of ourselves in order that we would know Him better, to posture ourselves and our hearts towards Jesus in such a manner that we are vulnerable and lay it down as we are in front of Jesus and say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I wanna connect with you. Are we willing to be that person? You know what, no matter how independent, no matter how competent, no matter how successful in the world's eyes you are, we are in need of a Saviour. Whether you've had the very worst week or the very best week, it doesn't change the fact we are in need of Jesus. Right now, in this moment, even more. And you might live a really righteous, holy life. I don't presume to know the way that you live every day, but even if you are the most righteous person in this room, you are in need of a Saviour. You need a deeper connection with Jesus. I need a deeper connection with Jesus. I need to lay myself out. I need to lay my soul bare before the Lord and say, God, please, I love you so much. Just take Take what you have got. Take all of me. Allow me to just connect with you a little bit more. And He says, come on, Jez. Come on. I want to connect with you. I do want to connect with you so much more, even than what we, even than what we have this week. You know, we spent, we spent a good time of time together this week, but I want more. Because there's always more. There's always more connection with Jesus. There's always something more. There is an opportunity that each and every one of us has to recline at the table with Jesus. And if you are sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't know if I want to, can I remind you what the Bible says in Matthew 16? It might not be on the screen, that's okay. I'm gonna read it to you in the Amplified Version. Then Jesus said to His disciples, and we are all His disciples now. 
If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciples, he must deny himself, set aside selfish interests, take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example and living and if need be suffering or perhaps dying of faith in me because of that faith in me. We are called to deep connection with our Saviour. You know, I was gonna give you some practical ways to connect with God. I'm just gonna give you one today because we need to know that when we are in the presence of God, our faith is bolstered. Our joy is heightened. We are made strong. Our hearts rejoice. And we are overwhelmed and overcome with the knowledge of the love that God has for each of us. And you know what? When we can know ourselves better, when we are in connection with Jesus and we know ourselves better, it means we can connect with other people better because we know who we are. And so, we, and God can tell us about who they are as well. And so we start to see the connection with Jesus just increases the connection with everybody else. And you know what? Jesus lives in us. This is not hard. So practically, I wanna give you an exercise today to finish with because, you know, you might be sitting here thinking, I actually don't know how to really deeply connect with Jesus besides like reading my Bible and maybe... Um, praying a little bit, but how do I actually take that moment? Well, let me give you an example. There is this, this thing, this tool, this technique, and it's called breath prayer. Has anybody done that before? Anybody heard of breath prayer? It is a really simple technique that you can use. And what it does is it just brings into focus who God is. It brings into focus the Scriptures. It brings into focus and helps your mind to not be thinking about all of the things that are happening around you, but just to connect purely and simply with Jesus. And all you need to do is find a Scripture that speaks to you. It might be one that's speaking to you in the moment. It might be a Scripture that you've heard before and a promise that you wanna proclaim over your life. Whatever it is, find a Scripture. We're gonna go with an easy one that we know well this morning. We're gonna go with Psalm 23. And all you do is as you breathe in, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's try it together. You don't have to say it out loud. You can even just do it in your mind. Breathing in my shepherd and as you breathe out I shall not want thank you Jesus and you just repeat the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want I don't know about you but even just doing that one time powerful and you can do that anytime anywhere wherever you find yourself. And it is such a simple way to connect with Jesus today and every day. It might be breathing in, you are my God, and breathing out, I will rest on you. And you can even Google breath prayer and you will find a whole bunch of prayers that you can use based on Scripture. And you can adapt it for any situation, any circumstance. If you are feeling anxious, there are Scriptures for that. Breathe in, breathe out. Breath is so powerful. God breathes on us and it is so powerful. So please use that tool as you will. 
But I wanna ask you this morning as we come to a close, have you accepted the invitation to join Jesus as you are this morning right now at the table, as you are? Are you willing to reveal a part of yourself to Him or perhaps release a part of yourself to Him that you have kept hidden? A part that you have been holding on to? Because let's face it, it's not hidden from God. We think it is, but it's not. A moment of vulnerability that would cause you to increase in the deep connection you have with Jesus. Allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with Him gives us the ability to heal places that need healing, to grow places that need growing. Uh, Perhaps the places that have become stagnant will find life again, reignite dreams that have been dormant and become the people that we have been designed all along to be. But maybe you do feel like a bit of a Pharisee at the moment. Maybe you do. And you feel like you have been judging Jesus. You have been waiting for Him to prove Himself. You have been waiting for Him to do what you need Him to do in order that you might be able to trust Him fully, in order that you might be able to give Him a little bit more. You are waiting, you are holding back because you don't know if you can trust this guy. Or you've boxed Him in just to one part of your life and you're just throwing grace around. But God wants more for you. And today is a time to let Him be a part of the rest of your life to stop judging and to start pursuing. To allow yourself to be vulnerable with Jesus today and it does take courage and it does take bravery. And it takes just a moment though to stop and connect with Jesus. Thanks for listening. If today's message really spoke to you and you would like to talk to someone about it, why don't you head to our website, seethroughchurchvictory.org.au to connect with our team. You can also find us and reach out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and the YouVersion Bible Reading app. We'll see you next week.